You are listening to an audio broadcast from the Charlottesville Vineyard Christian Church. Um, and for our family, we've really had to take a hard look at our finances, you know, in recent years, uh, in this last year in particular, and not only look at how we're dealing with money and how we're spending it, you know, how we're saving it, if you can save it, um, and just how we're getting through life, but this, um, preparing for this sermon really challenged some of the preconceptions that I had about, you know, money as a Christian and how we use that and, and what we do with that. And I think that was a really good thing. And I'm hoping that as we kind of look mainly at the Old Testament um, today, that that is going to challenge you in some good ways um, and educate us a little bit. Because what I found, one of the things that I found is I had a lot of preconceptions that, you know, are very common in Christianity but if you think about your own life as I did about mine, I started to realize, wow, you know, how often have I really taken a look at what the Bible says about tithing or giving and really match that up with my preconceptions? And when I did that, I found that there were some discrepancies there. And when there are, then we need to change our preconceptions. And in this case, I will, I'll tell you um, sort of what those were. Um, the first slide here, we're going to, we're going to, this just came out this way. I didn't mean to do in alliteration, but we came, I came up with what I call the four A's. And the, the first thing we're going to deal with this morning is the amount. You know, that's always a question. Well, how much should I give? If I'm going to give, you know, how much should that be? And we've all heard the word tithe and the word, well, you should be giving 10% or you should do this or you should do that. So let's look at the amount and try to get that straightened out first. And then we're going to take a look at the attitude because one of the things that became very clear as I went through Scripture is even more important than the amount is the attitude with which we give. Um, and I'll say right up front that I think God does expect us to give, but that He definitely wants a certain attitude attached to that giving, and that's really important. And then I, I thought it was important to address the idea of allocation. It's like, well, wh- what does Scripture say about where this money's supposed to go? Um, you know, should I just give it all to the church? Do I just give it to the poor? Do what, you know, what? And I actually found a couple of things that were, were very interesting in terms of the Old Testament, um, about where money is allocated when it's given. And then finally, I don't think it's worth preaching a sermon like this if you don't do some application at the end. And that's sort of like, well, okay, so where does that leave us? You know, where does that leave us as a church? Where does that leave us as individuals? What what do we do with this information? And, you know, this is not something we maybe think about on a regular basis. I know that, you know, our family, we've, we've tithed regularly over the years, but preparing for this made me come back to that and think, you know, it made me reevaluate all these areas for one, but then reevaluate my attitude was the big thing and just say, boy, it's so easy just to even get into the rut of, just sort of writing the check every month, you know, and not even thinking about what you're doing. And I realized that I was missing out on a lot of the joy that comes with giving. It would be like just giving Christmas presents just because you have to, rather than like if you have kids, you know, you you go, you search for that special gift you know they want, and on Christmas morning you just get to see them go boing and light up, you know, when they get that, you know, Darth Vader Lego set or whatever it is. Um and, and there's something special about that and special about a gift that is specially given. And so that's one of the things that I hope that we accomplish this morning is to sort of um, come back to the heart of giving, as it were, 
um, and take a look at that. So anyway, we're going to jump right in here to a mount. And the, the main passage, there's a number of passages that kind of repeat the same thing in the Old Testament. And I'll just say this to you now. If you have a Bible, you're going to want to open it up and take, take a look at these with me. I'll read them to you. But in general, I think it's really good for us to just kind of look at these um, together and be able to see it sort of in your own Bible. But this is sort of the core passage of the law in the Old Testament. And let me say this before I roll into this. This, this week is about Old Testament. There's sort of a rule of biblical interpretation that when we look at the Bible and we say, okay, well, what does this mean and then how does it apply to us, that we interpret the Old Testament in light of what the New Testament says. Now, I'm not hitting on the New Testament today. I'm leaving that for Jim, and I'm going to try not to steal away from what he's going to have to say. But what I want you to realize up front is when we look at the Old Testament, God is talking to a specific group of people. He's talking to the Jewish nation. We are not the Jewish nation. Now, there's a lot of principles that may apply to us, but there are some differences as well, okay? We're also looking at a group of people before Christ came in an era that was a little bit different in the way that God was dealing with men and women, and that is he was dealing with them according to law. He had given the law, and this is where he's giving it, and this is what he says, okay, if you're going to live by my law, then this is what I want you to do. Now, the first thing right off the top is that we really don't live by law. Okay, in the New Testament, we know we now live by grace. We don't live by following the letter of this law, and that's not what makes us and gives us right standing before God. So it's sort of important to keep that background in your mind as you hear what God has to say here. So this is the main passage where he's talking about a mount in the Old Testament. Leviticus 27.30 says, A tithe of everything, and you may or may not know this. I think a lot of people do. The word tithe itself means tenth. All right? And it establishes a 10% giving point at minimum. So he says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether the grain, the soil, or fruit of the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And if a man redeems any of his tithe, he must add a fifth of the value to it. The entire tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. And he must not pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. If he does make a substitution, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. And that's how the book of Leviticus basically ends. Those are the last verses. So God clearly establishes a certain amount for the nation of Israel. All right, and not to take away from Jim, but I will tell you this, that in the New Testament, the tenth, the idea of 10% is not mentioned. It is mentioned one time by Jesus, and he's talking specifically to Jews. So is 10% bad? No. I think it's a great place to start, personally. But one of the things that challenged one of my preconceptions is I, I came into this whole thing thinking, you know, man, as a Christian, you better be giving 10%. That is really the minimum. Because for the Jews, it was a minimum. It was a starting place. They also had other sacrifices and things they gave on top of that. And it's estimated they gave about 23% of their income or agricultural goods in the Old Testament. So they gave a lot more than 10%. This was just a, just a tithe itself. Um, that being said, the New Testament really doesn't touch on the amount. And I think that is significant, and I'll let him deal with that. But barring anything else, it's a place that I've always started. I think it is a good idea to start in a place somewhere, you know, to have some kind of a starting point, and that's a good one to take a look at. Um, 
here's another idea for you in terms of amounts. 10% could be a starting point. We don't need to be legalistic about that. But what about your time? Do we tithe on our time? Okay, we're talking about tithing on our treasures here, so to speak. But we also tithe on our talents. Okay, when you see someone coming up and doing worship in the morning, that takes a lot of preparation. You know, people that are running sound, people in this church that are helping. And and I'm looking around and I'm sort of preaching to the choir here, I think, because everybody here to some extent is involved in what we do here as a church. But we can do more than give just money. And I think it's important to keep that in mind because you can give of your time, your treasures, and your talents just as joyfully as you can give of your financial means. All right? And in some cases, you may even have to look at your financial means and say, well, where are we? What, what are we doing right now? So the amount. I also told you that I was challenged in that personally. And as a result of um, preparing for this sermon, I've actually decided to pull back some of my tithing. And, there's, and that sounds really weird. That sounds you know, contradictory almost. But... Um, And to share with you personally, this last year has been very difficult for our family. And we've actually had to live on credit cards to a certain extent. And I know some of you are aware of what that means. And so we've kind of had to come to the point with saying, well, I can continue to tie this this certain amount and then basically go into debt to do that. Or I can pull that back to an extent. And I had continued to tie that a certain percentage based on what I felt like was my preconception of what giving was about. But I realized from this that, you know, that preconception was challenged. And at this point in my life, I made, it would be better for me to pull back on that a little bit and do it with a good attitude than to not um, be doing that, giving more with either a poor or a begrudging attitude and causing my family to go further into debt. All right, so that was one thing that, sort of directly came out of this. On the flip side of that, we'll, we'll talk about the attitude in a minute. There are blessings and curses uh, of, attached to tithing as well, attached to the idea of giving. So the first thing is the amount. Um, I covered the law versus grace. And then the other thing is percentage. I'll tell you a short story. Uh, when Michelle and I were first married, we moved into this little um, place up in the mountains in, in California. And you know, I really think that God does reward your faith. This this can be an issue of faith. Tithing can be an issue of faith. And I'll get to this in the application section a little bit more. But do we believe that God, even if we give money to God when we seemingly can't afford it, do we believe that God is able to then provide over and above that? Do we believe that he is supernaturally able to provide for us in ways that we maybe don't see at the moment? And my answer to that is yes. Um, And I've seen that played out in my life um, over the years in various ways. You know, Paul said in the New Testament, he goes, I know how to deal with plenty. And he said, I know how to deal with basically nothing. And my family's been no exception to that. Michelle and I have had times when we've really struggled. Like right now is probably the greatest time of financial crisis we faced. And then we've had times where we've done well. Um, And so I remember when we first married, which was another time of sort of financial crisis, and we woke up one morning and 
I had basically just left a job as a youth pastor, and she was not working, and so received the last paycheck, you know, pretty much went through that. We woke up in the morning, and she said, she's like, rent's due today. You know, we got like $550 due in rent. How are we going to pay that? Because we had $50 in our checking account. And I said, I don't know. I, I said, but, you know, we, we've been faithful to do what we feel like God has called us to do, and that is to give and give off a percentage. And so for that month, we gave, you know, I had $50 or whatever that we took in right then, and so we tithed the $5 off of that, gave what we felt was 10%. Um, and that's the great thing about a percentage is it's a sliding scale. You know, it's still it's 10%, whether you got $50 or $5 million. And at the end of the day, I was able to pay my rent, I was able to put new tires on my car because we had a snowstorm like this, and I walked out to my wife's car, and the metal is showing through the treads on her, on her tires. And so I started praying. I said, Lord, I don't know where I'm going to get, you know, $600 to put tires on this car, but you know what the need is. And so it's asking for help. And a week later, we got an anonymous gift of $3,000, and we were able to live that whole year without actually going into any debt, and we continued to give throughout that. You know, I remember at one point, it was a challenge for her too. You know, at one point she said, um, you know, God doesn't owe us anything. And I said, in some ways he does because he's faithful to his promises. He says that if you give, he will give back. And we don't give because of that, but we give with the assurance of that promise. And certainly God was proved faithful um, many times over. And, you know, like a lot of things in our life when we go through trials and so on with, with God, you look back and you go, boy, I wouldn't want to do that again or I wouldn't want to go through that time again. But I also wouldn't trade that time um, because of the things that I learned. And it was just, it helped me grow. It helped her grow. Um, I think we came out of that stronger in our faith and, and we can look back on that and know that, you know, God is faithful. He's going to take care of us. So anyway, that's the amount. Let's move on to the allocation of our funds. What what does the Bible say about, okay, if we're going to give this money, well, where does it go? And there wasn't a lot of new information here for me, but there there was some conviction here for me. Um, let's take a look at Deuteronomy 14.24, if you have it. You can just move over there. Interesting passage. And it goes into... A little bit of detail on this. Um, there was actually something that was kind of surprising here to me, and I still haven't totally figured it out, but you can see. And so God's talking to the Israelites, and he says, But if that place is too distant, and you have been blessed by the Lord your God, and cannot carry your tithe, um, because of the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver, and take the silver with you, and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. Now, did you guys catch that? God just told them to tithe and go have a party with it. That's what he just said. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that, that's amazing. Because sort of in my mind, it's always been like, well, that you know, your tithe money is sacred. You don't go spend that on yourself. You know, you definitely the idea is you set that apart. It's holy to the Lord. You give it to God. You give it away. That's what you do with your tithe. And then I read this, and I came across this idea. And I think God, what God is aiming at here is an attitude of the heart. 
And he's like, you know, every once in a while, I want you to take that money. And if you look at, I'm not going to go into this whole thing, but there were actually, you did different things with tithes based on different times in the Old Testament. Like every three years, all of it would be given to the Levites and the priests and so on. And But that was every three years. And then other times you would take it and celebrate with your family. And so I think what God is getting at here is he's saying, you know what? The attitude of the heart is what's really important here. I want you to double check your heart. And when you sit down to that meal, when you sit down to rejoice, when you gather your family around you, guess what? That is a time to celebrate God's goodness. And go ahead and use that. Go go buy the filet mignon and bring it home and cook it up and say, you know, this is what God has been generous enough to provide for us. Pretty interesting idea. Now, I wouldn't be doing that every week, I don't think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's it's You know, there's always this balance in, in Scripture and in our faith between license and liberty. Okay. And, you know, we can step over that line pretty easily. <laughs> but um, I, I just thought it was interesting because that was something that I was totally unaware of, had never really heard before. I don't know if you have or not, but it, it challenged me. And like I said, I'm still working through that going, well, you know, Maybe I'll try to apply that in my life. I, I don't know exactly how that's going to work. I mean, I can have some idea, but, you know, there's a lot of variables there that part of this is, you know, let's, you got to pray and be sent take it before the Lord and see what he says, you know, because in your case, you might choose to do this with it, which would cause an attitude of rejoicing in your own heart or your family. Another family may choose to do something totally different with that. Same thing. And there's not a lot of guideline there, but there is a precedent set. Okay. So take the drink, um, then you and your household shall eat it there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. Do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. So the second thing we see is that you're to give to basically the church workers, the priests, the Levites, those who are in ministry. Because if you remember, there was no inheritance left to the Levites. They were to serve in the temple of God. And the way that they made their living and got their food was through the tithes of the Israelites given to them. They got a 10% tithe off the increase of the land, and therefore they were able to live lives. Um, I think that that is really key, and I've always felt, and preparing for this has not changed my opinion on this, that the bulk of what we give really does still need to go to our local church at the place where you fellowship. And I, I will say this. Um, I've been in ministry for a number of years, and every church I've been in, with no exception, across denominational lines, has been the same. And there are, when you look at the giving patterns, 20% of the people give 80% of the income. I mean, that's a pretty interesting statistic. And, you know, often you'll hear churches are like, wow, that you know, the church is struggling, it's hurting for money, or... You know, pastors are living on half of the mean salary that everyone else in that community is making. Why? It shouldn't be that way. Because if if 100% of the people in the church were giving and giving joyfully, and you'll see this in a second, there, there would be no problem meeting every need that the church has. Um, and I'm not laying that entirely on people in the congregation. I think sometimes it's difficult for pastors to talk about money because it's almost a, they feel like it's a conflict of interest. Um, I don't think it is a conflict of interest because really it's simply about our own spiritual growth and maturity, the way that we handle money. You can often tell about a person's sort of where they are in their journey, maybe even maturity about what they do with their money. Um, and I'll say maybe a little bit more on that later. 
But anyway, giving to the local church, um, I, I'll tell you this, that for Michelle and I, and you know, a lot of this I'm making this personal, I'm revealing some financial details, um, but, but I hope that will be helpful um, and engaging. One of the things that we have tried to do through the years is give first and foremost to the local church, but we also, because of a lot of our connections have, we've tried to give a portion of our money overseas to the church. Um, we have various friends and, and so on who work in ministries which are international. And I think that is important for us because we want to allocate money um, not just to the local church, but we want to have a global awareness of what the church is doing and what it's about. And by being connected with those people, we do, and we believe in them. We believe in their ability to minister. We believe in their maturity. And so we want to give to support those ministries. So we've definitely allocated part of our income toward that. Where I'm very um, convicted is this last portion of this. He says, do not neglect the Levites. And then in verse 28, he says, at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in the town so that the Levites who have no allotment or inheritance on their own and the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. All right, we're to support widows, fatherless, and in another case, even the poor. The poor is a major issue here. God is very concerned about the poor, and I will confess to you that my heart has not been terribly um, cognizant of the poor over the years. And I don't have any system of regular giving for the poor. And I think that for me, that is one of the application points for me, needs to change. Need to find out ways to be more sensitive to the poor and to find ways to give to them. As a matter of fact, this last year has put me a lot more in touch with the poor. <laughs> I, I are one, <laughs> you know. And, uh, you know, you, you start going through. And one of the one of the things that – sorry, I'll get to that later. I'm, I'm not going to – I'll touch on that a little bit later. But, you know, suffice it to say that in this kind of an economy, what I see – is um, everybody's being a lot more careful with their money. They're, you know, we used to just say, oh, you know, that, that doesn't work anymore. You know, we live in a disposable economy. We just go out and buy what you need. You don't think about it. You know, you just go do it. And now it's like, for us, and, and I even, I, a lot of our friends and things, you know, even people with money, it, there's a lot more of a consciousness about, do I really need that? Starting to separate between needs and wants. I mean, we live in a society which just mixes those things Completely. I mean, all I have to do is take my kids into the grocery store, and I need a candy bar. And it's like, well, let's talk about needs and wants. <laughs> you know, you don't need the candy bar. You might really want it, but you don't need it. But we find ourselves, you know, it's really easy for us to do the same things too. Oh, I need this or I need that. And then it's taking a step back and saying, you know what? Don't really need it. And you start thinking about the poor and what they have and what they have to use and I don't have any of the luxuries of life. Um, and maybe some of the money that we're spending on things that are supposedly needs could be given to support um, some, of, some of the poor with things that really are needs. And, one, I mean, there's opportunities all over to do that. Haiti is one of them, you know, that we talked about. Fixing up a house is another one. You know, Jim, one of the things Jim said, which I was reminded of, and I've forgotten about this, did it years ago, was the idea of supporting a child. You know, what? how much did you spend $32 a month? You know, that's like, what, a Starbucks a week or something like that? 
you know, get rid of the one Starbucks and make coffee at home. You know, I've started doing that. I just make coffee in my office now rather than running over to Greenberries or something. And probably saving quite a bit of money when you chalk up 2 or $3 a day. That's a lot of money. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's like the little things add up. It's usually not the big areas that kill you. It's the, it's the small little areas. You know, just a really quick, this is random, but I'll use it as an example of that. Most of you guys know that I own my own business where we, we sell retail goods, and we sell um, everything from canoes that are a couple thousand dollars all the way down to the little flies that are hand-tied, and we sell those for $2 a piece, right? I started looking through our reports for the end of the year the other day to see, you know, what, which things are we really selling? Where, where really do we make our profit? And far and away, the biggest profit area in my business is the little flies. We sell $37,000 worth of those a year, and we make a 57% profit margin on them. You know, and you're all happy when you sell a $300 and $400 jacket, but that's not where we're making our money. And so it just brought home to me that idea that, you know, it's these little things that add up that really add up to sort of the big money, if you will. And so looking at our lives. Anyway, okay, I think I beat allocation to death um, pretty much there. So let's move on to attitude, and we'll beat that to death. Second <laughs> uh, Chronicles 31.5. What happens when the whole family of God gives? I told you about the 80-20 rule, and it, it is pretty much consistent across evangelical Christianity at the least. Um, Second Chronicles is interesting because... Uh, it gives us an idea of what happens. Let's see, where is that? I must have lost my thing. It gives us an idea of what happens when um, when everybody comes together and gets into the spirit of giving. Sorry, I'm having to look it up here. It'll take me just a second. And I love this because it's like you want to see the storehouses overflowing. And you want to see people on fire for God, um, look at what they do here, 31.5. And this is Hezekiah, and he's having the, the Israelites bring tithes in to sort of help um, get the, the temple back in order. Or not, not, sorry, not the temple back in order. He's discovered, um, he's taken down high places, and there's this revival going on in Israel. So in, in verse 5, he says this. He says, uh, um, as soon as the order went out, uh, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, oil, and honey. You notice there's an attitude tied to the action. They gave. They didn't just give. They gave generously, um, which tells me that they were excited about this project. They gave of the first fruits of their grain, the new wine, the oil, the honey, and all that the fields produced. And they brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. The men of Israel and Judah who lived in the towns of Judah also brought a tithe of their herds and flocks and a tithe of the holy things dedicated to the Lord their God, and they piled them in heaps. They began doing this in the third month and finished in the seventh month. So it took them a number of months to bring all this stuff. There was so much stuff. And when Hezekiah and his officials came and saw the heaps, they praised the Lord and blessed the people Israel. Hezekiah asked the priests and Levites about the heaps, and Azariah the chief priest from the family of Zadok answered, since the people began to bring their contributions to the temple of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and plenty to spare because the Lord has blessed his people and this great amount is left over. Pretty amazing thing. I mean, if everybody does their part in a church, 
and gives of time, treasures, and talents, there's so much that there's going to be leftovers. And guess what? When you have leftovers, you can give those leftovers away. And even more than that, I would say, you know, if you want to see, if we want to see this church be a blessing to this community, then give. And I'm not just talking about monetarily, but give. Um, Because that generosity will not go unrewarded by God. It will not go unrewarded in your own heart. And it will not go unrewarded by gratitude from the people that we're able to help uh, in this community. Um, Deuteronomy 14.24 there's an attitude of gratitude. You know, I'm not going to read that one. I'll let you do it. The one I do want to hit on, though, is, in terms of our attitude, is Malachi 3.8. And this is, probably, um, this is probably one of the most famous verses um, on giving in the, uh, in the Old Testament. It's at the very end of the Old Testament, right before Matthew here. And God, through the prophet Malachi, is speaking to the nation of Israel. And unfortunately, at this point in time, we are at a different place than we were during Hezekiah's reign. Uh, Israel has not been living up to expectations. They've been doing a very poor job. And most of the prophets, just so you know, one of the primary jobs of the prophets was to come to the nation of Israel and call them back to God. It was not so much about foretelling the future as it was about calling the people of God back to their first love. That was the job of a prophet. And so that's what he's doing here. And in 3.8, he says this, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Um, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields and will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, on one hand, God is saying, listen, you guys are blowing it. On the other hand, he's saying, he, he actually, and this is the only time that I'm aware in the whole Bible where God actually says, test me. And he says, test me on this. I want you to try this out. He said, you give what I've commanded you to give and see if I don't throw open the storehouses of heaven. You see, ultimately, our attitude, we need to realize that God is not poor. He doesn't need our money. What you don't give, he can supply some other way. It's, it's simple. Giving is really about us and our attitude and our maturity and our faith. And so, you know, will we be robbing God? Uh, I, don't, I don't think we would really be robbing God in that sense because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, so to speak, and God can find the money wherever he needs it. But, boy, we're certainly robbing ourselves of, one, the joy we get in giving, of watching what God can do when you do give. And, you know, there's just so many blessings attached to that. And I've already told you sort of the story about, you know, when Michelle and I are first married. And that's one of the things we did. We literally, not intentionally, but literally tested God to see if he would be faithful to that. And he was, you know, he he, he helped us live during that whole year um, in very difficult circumstances with very little money. And we were able to come out the other side of that. 
So, um, you know, there was even at a point in our early married life during that time when I think Michelle asked me at some point, you know, do we have a plan for buying a house? And, and at that point, you know, we were in ministry and so on. And I, I said, I, you know, to be honest, I don't know that we will ever own a house. We may live in houses, but I'm, you know, I don't have a plan to go out and own a house. We may never make uh, that kind of income. And it was two or three years later, we bought our first house. Uh, and that was not necessarily part of the plan. And then one of the more um, sort of flush times, times of planning in our life was when we moved here. We were able to sell a house in California um, and make a considerable amount of money on that. And we were then also then, and this comes under the idea of allocation or special needs, we, we got a significant chunk of money from that, and we decided that we did want to tithe on that, and we did. And so we didn't just, you know, give this huge check to the church, but we, it, was, it was good for us because we really had to sit and say, wow, this is a, a lot of money. You know, what, what can we do with this? What, Lord, where do you want us to put this? Where do you want us to allocate this? And it did wonders for our attitude because it was actually really fun. I mean, the, we gave an amount of approximately $10,000. And, you know, if, if you're supporting some people and you're going to church and you're thinking, Gosh, I, could, I could actually write multiple checks for thousands of dollars here, that's a lot of fun. Um, you know, to be able to give that to someone, especially if you know where there's needs and then you, you see how God sort of reveals needs. And that, that was great, too. And it was a, a wonderful time to be able to be blessed to be able to do something like that. So... Um, Anyway, and, and you know, so, so God's blessings were there, and um, we're going to move on to the application now, too. You know, the attitude ha- had been one of gratitude, and then I would say over the last three or four, maybe five years, um, our attitude had changed toward money. And I, I think probably some of what we are going through now is a result of God dealing with us due to our changed attitude, a very subtle change of attitude and money. And, uh, you know, I think that's so important when we get into the idea of application that we be asking questions about what is God trying to teach me or do with me right now in my life? And this is what I feel like God is doing primarily with my family right now, and that is bringing us back to a place of financial responsibility. Because I feel like we came into this sort of this flesh time in our lives, and yes, we were faithful to give, but then we kind of just stopped differentiating between needs and wants. And instead of being very responsible with a significant amount of money, we didn't really, and I will take responsibility, it wasn't her, it was more me, didn't make a plan for that, didn't do things with it, just kind of was like, woohoo, you know. And, I mean, we didn't live high on the hog. We weren't buying filet mignon and so on. We might now because we don't have any money and we need to celebrate. But, <laughs> um, but we, we stopped differentiating and we stopped tracking money. We stopped being careful. And, you know, next thing you know, it's like God comes going, mm, mm, mm. hey, um, you know, remember this whole responsibility thing as well. I want you to give with an open heart, but I want you to be responsible with with what I give you. And that's exactly what we're learning now. We're learning to count every penny and figure out where that goes. 
and make sure that that's a need, not a want. You know, we don't do any purchasing without looking at our balance and our checking account, those kinds of things. And that can be a difficult, once again, one of those difficult kind of lessons to learn in life, but it, it's also a very good lesson. And, you know, every day I get up and I feel better about the way that I'm personally handling money now than I was two or three years ago. And I also look back and say, wow, you know, I wish two or three years ago that maybe I had had, had this lesson a little more firmly in place because I think I would have been in a better place now if, if that had been the case. But regardless of that, God is faithful and he's working. And, and so that's good. So here's a couple, uh, a few general application questions that I came up with. It's from this whole thing. Um, if you're not giving, and I, and I mean time, treasures, or talents, this week determine a percentage, and it doesn't have to be 10. That's a good starting place. But determine a percentage that you want to start giving. Um, I really don't think, I, I think your maturity as a Christian will be stunted and certainly your attitude of gratefulness will be stunted until you make that decision to start giving. And I'll say that. Um, you know, are we tied to 10%? No, and I've gone over why. Are we commanded to give? And the New Testament's very clear that we are. You should be giving something. What you give is up to you. It's between you and God. But we should be giving, and we should be doing it with the correct attitude. Second thing, um, if you're not giving to the church, start. And there's different ways of doing that, once again, financially with your, your time. Um, you know, if you're not volunteering time here, I would highly suggest that you think about doing that because, I mean, I don't know, in a small church like this, there's not too many secrets, but, you know, this church is going to grow. And when it does, there'll be people coming in here who may not initially come in with that attitude. And it's up to those of us who, who do have that attitude to help them understand that it takes a lot of work any of you guys that have been here to set up or tear down know it takes a lot of work to do that. Some of you guys do it every single week, you know. I mean, Jim and Megan did practically everything for the first one or two years here. And, um, I mean, that'll wear you out. Um, so we need to work together to do that. So give to the church if you're not. Be sensitive. See, be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit for special needs where God may want us to give above and beyond. That could even be sacrificially. Um and I touched on that with tithing on our house. But, you know, I think it's really good, and I think this economy is helping in that, to make us much more aware of money and the importance of money in sort of walking through our days going, wow. You know, like I, I walk into the food line by my house, and, and generally there's a lot of people from the um, – I'm disremembering the name. That it's a poor community, and a lot of people in there, you can just tell, they don't have a lot. and you know, as I walk through there, I'm realizing um, there's a lot of needs out there. You know, I was even thinking through this storm that we just had. There's people who live out in the street. What did they do? What did they do during these things? What's that? Yeah, that kind of a thing. And, I mean, I know that's one thing I can say is I, I, I looked at the church, not just myself as an individual, but us as a church. I mean, I think we've done quite a bit and are doing quite a bit to try to reach out to the poor. So, you know, we want to try to be involved in that. But be aware of those special needs. You know, just a funny story on that. My father, very careful with money his whole life, you know, um, kind of, he's that way anyway, but, um, you know, he, but he, God really dealt with him. And the way that God dealt with him was sort of the opposite of me. He, he basically told him to start 
using his savings to tithe and to get rid of some of his investments because my dad's stronghold in his own life was the fact that he put his faith and trust in money. And if you had money in the bank, you were going to be okay. But if you didn't have it, then, hey, life was just a crapshoot. And he told me that at one point. And he said, basically, God told me to give, give a lot of this away. He said, there's not going to be an inheritance because we're just giving our money away. Um, and I have no regrets about that. I mean, he's, he's listened to God. And, and, and God has really released him from the stronghold of trust in money to trust in God to take care of him. Um, but what he used to do is he, he would occasionally have people come up and panhandle, you know, like, hey, man, I need five bucks to, to get a burger. And so my dad had a great answer for that. He'd say, oh, you do. You know, and these guys are like, they got the paper bag there. And you're like, mm, yeah, $5 for a burger. Was that burgundy or <laughs> Chablis? You know, I don't know. Um, so he'd pull out his Hardy's gift certificates. And he'd say, here's two gift certificates. Go get yourself a burger. And he was prepared for that at any point in time for someone to do that. And they could go get a meal, but they weren't going to be able to spend it on alcohol. So I thought that was always a fairly clever idea. Um, D, consider your time and talents. Are you giving these? I've uh, already covered that. E, and spend some time each week or or uh, day maybe thanking God for his provision. You know, do we do we take time to say thanks, God? Um, even in the midst of hard circumstances, I mean, I I seriously wake up and... There's times when I have to fight back. You know, Michelle and I have to fight back the stress about, man, where, where's, are we going to be able to make our next house payment or what? And then I can honestly say there's many days, though, where I wake up and I look around and I say, you know, look at this. I've got three kids, a wife, a great dog that pulls me down hills and um, a house over my head, you know, a fireplace that works, heating that works, and... Um, you know, God has really blessed us in so many ways, and, and I'd be thankful for that and know that God is going to take care of the details. You know, He does. And so, you know, I want to say to, to as a reminder to cultivate that attitude of gratitude. Um, you know, what is God doing with you right now? Here are some ideas. You know, is he, is he teaching you to live by faith like He did with my father, putting your faith in Him, maybe rather than your money? Um, is He releasing trying to help you release the bonds of trust and money and put those bonds of trust in him? Um, is he developing an attitude of thankfulness in your life? Is he trying to work on that area of your life? Um, or, as in my case, is it possible that he's bringing you back to a place of financial responsibility and learning again the value and the meaning of money and what it can do? Is he, is he uh, you know, working with you in terms of your consciousness of the poor and the people around you that could really benefit from that money? There's a lot of things that God could be doing, and I think that money is very central to our faith. As a matter of fact, you know, people make a big deal out of sex in the Bible. Money is mentioned far and away more times than sex is in the Bible. I don't know if you knew that, but it's an interesting thing. There's a lot said about money, um, and that tells me that God thought it was a fairly important issue. Let's go ahead and pray, and then next week, um, Anna, head us up with the New Testament.